Howdy folks, welcome back to the Newsprint Commando. This is episode 10 of the show and episode 10 of our Capital Comics chapter. The book I'll be looking at today is Whisper Volume 1, Issue 1, cover dated December 1983. Um, Capital Comics intended this as a bi-monthly book. We'll see how that shakes out. The story we're looking at is Out of the Blue and Into the Black, scripted for us by Stephen Grant, penciled by Rich Larson, inked by Dennis Wolf, lettered by Dennis Wolf, and colored by Les Dorscheid. The cover is Michael Golden, and I'll get to that here in a moment. But with this book, Les Dorscheid as the colorer, now he is coloring all three books for Capital, Nexus, Badger, and this one, Whisper. The cover, um, interesting cover, Michael Golden, very well known at this time. Uh, the cover has basically three levels as you look at it. There's a background, which is a, a city, an urban background. In the midground is a banner from top to bottom of the cover in the very middle third of the cover. And then in the foreground, seemingly stepping through the banner from middle to left as we look at the cover, is a female ninja. And you can tell this, um, she has the black jacket, trousers, and the hooded cowl. Uh, stylized cutouts for the eyes. A um, couple things stand out to me as far as the outfit, um, the eyes. The sleeves of the jacket are held in place via a cloth strip from her wrist going up through the junction between her ring and middle finger and over the back uh, the back of the hand, uh, kind of like this. Uh, the sweaters that you'll see a lot of girls wear that have this thing that hooks through the finger to keep the sleeves down. Uh, but also her side, and we see in the book that when she, well, she, uh, I, I'm getting to why we know it's a she, um, when she first puts the top on, she tears to free up her shoulders, which is an interesting excuse uh, for this. But she tears from her midriff up across her underarm to halfway through the bicep, uh, tears that much of the cloth away, in essence. And so here on the cover, we see her exposed side of the midriff, and she is turning in such a way that we have uh, the side of her breast showing. And so we know automatically that it's female, by the way, that that's drawn. We know that it's Michael Golden on the cover. Uh, the artwork was a little hard for me to tell right away that it was Golden, but his signature, well, actually, unless you're Japanese, the signature doesn't help either. Uh, we find out from Mr. Richard Brunning, the editor and art director, on the inside front cover where he does his uh, justifying his paycheck outlay of, of facts and figures here, that the signature is in uh, perhaps... I'll, I'll take a shot and say that it's kanji. Um, I believe that is the, the most prolific of the Japanese kana. It could also be in hiragana or katakana. Um, I apologize for being terminally Western and not necessarily knowing the difference. Um, if I am misspeaking, uh, educate me. I, I mean, you know, no disrespect. I'm, I'm willing to learn. Uh, at times, I just turn out to be a, a rather poor student. All that having been said, in, in one of the Japanese scripts, uh, in the lower right-hand corner is a series that transcribes to Golden. 
And so he, um, I guess in keeping with the motif of the book, signed it or, or had it converted to uh, whichever of the Japanese scripts that they used, the kana here, to sign the cover. Uh, inside, Mr. Brunning just talks about the individuals uh, associated with the creation of the book. I listed them out here for you. Grant, Larson, Wolf, Dorscheid, Michael Golden on the cover. And he also throws out Karina Pruss, Pruss I apologize, whichever way, and uh, Stephen Welch as designers, associate editors, and production managers as we go through. Uh, the first page is a illustrated title page, in essence. Whisper by Grant and Larson, out of the blue and into the black signature down here, Larson and Wolf. The picture is of the, one would assume, protagonist as shown on the cover, uh, bent over a figure laying on the ground, a man who was formerly holding a pistol, but has had the pistol knocked out of his hand. She is standing on the hand, having taken him down by throwing some type of uh, shuriken or throwing star. Not the typical star, but the elongated rectangular type throwing implements that we see. Again, I apologize if those are called something different than a shuriken, uh, but it is embedded in his shoulder. He's laying on the floor with a pool of blood collecting, and she is uh, bent over very menacingly looking at him. Our book opens. We have a couple gentlemen here looking at a slide projection, in essence, up on the wall of a young lady. They're discussing how this young lady's father died, and we're getting just a, a series of names. Uh, Alexis Devlin is thrown out to us. Um, Kimura, Jiro Hatsumi, Hatsumi, excuse me. Um, the fact that Miss Devlin has had a father and now has a stepfather, and her mother is still alive. Jiro is the stepfather who was formerly Alexis's father's partner. And after Alec uh, at, at some point, Alexis's mother and father divorced, and the mother is now with Jiro, who is also Alexis's father's partner. Much confusion here. Just that is that's all of that is one, two, three, four speech bubbles in the very first panel. So we're just getting names and relationships and all of this right from the very start to try to keep straight. As I go through the book, if I miss names and mess up relationships, I apologize. Um, I have it written down even to try to keep them straight, but that doesn't necessarily mean over the next 20 or so minutes that I will. Um, just bear with me if I misspeak and make those corrections. Uh, a lot of this relational aspect of the story was very confusing for me to keep up with. I went through the book about about three times, read it, went through a second time making notes, and a third time just to try to get it in my mind here before I recorded as um, Forrest Gump once said, I'm not a smart man, so I, I try to do the best I can with these things, if you'll bear with me. So they're talking about the, in essence, execution of someone here, and we see someone who is behind it, we see the person that has been hired to do it, and we see a second hand for the person that is the money person that hired someone to kill Alexis's father. After discussing all this, the second-hand man, whose name is Jimmy, at the behest of his boss, who is Kimura, strangles and kills this man that set up the killing of Alexis's father. Now, this is necessary over the course of these first two pages, we find out. Toroshido is the main protagonist. 
um, excuse me, uh, Kimura is the main protagonist of the story. He is doing something within the Yakuza to dishonor Toroshido so that he can step up and take his place. So presumably Toroshido is a head or the head of the Yakuza in the town where they're at, which is, bear with me a minute here, is uh, Alexis flies into Haneda Airport. I should have looked up to see if Haneda is a city in Japan. I apologize for that also. Not doing too well today. Haven't podcasted in a little while, and the rust is really showing. Sorry about that. But um, Toshiro is the head Yakuza. Kimura-san is the second or a second in command, the main protagonist for our story. Jimmy is his second. Alexis Devon is going to be turn out to be our protagonist. Jiro Hasumi is her stepfather, her biological father's business partner. Now, all of this is transpiring because Kimura wants to take the place of Toroshido in the Yakuza. Toroshido is good friends with Jiro Hatsumi. Alexis Devon is Jiro Hatsumi's um, faux daughter, uh, stepdaughter, daughter by marriage, ward, uh, the exact relationship, I'm not sure. So, Kimura and Jimmy are going to mess with Alexis to put pressure on Jiro to get Jiro to do something to Toroshida so that Kimasura, uh, Kimura excuse me, can take Toroshido's place. Okay, so Kimura and Jimmy against Alexis to pressure Jiro to pressure Toroshido so that Kimura can take Toroshido's place in the Yakuza. There we go. That's the uh, gist of what is the, uh, the, the skeleton of our story. So all of that gets laid out, or most of that gets laid out here in the first couple pages. We then see that Kimura-san is, uh, and I guess we are signified that he is uh, Yakuza because he is stepping into a bath, and as he takes his robe off, he has a, a massive dragon tattoo on his back. Um, I believe, typically, if not in reality, in Western culture, Yakuza um, are known to have uh, tattoos all over various parts of their body. And I say that because I don't know necessarily if that's true or if that's a westernization of something that occurs. But he is uh, high enough placed that as he steps into his bath, a, a couple women, couple female servants step into the pool with him to wash him. Does he say anything? No, not here. He does a little bit later in the story. Next up, we have Alexis landing, as I said, at Haneda Airport. She meets Jiro. Uh, she approaches him in a very Western way. When she realizes that she is doing that and Jiro is not appreciative, she steps back physically. She steps back and bows to him and says, Hanshi, stepfather. And he says, Kunoichi, daughter, um, in, in response, a much more formal greeting. Uh, they move off, grab a taxi, and head off. Now, anybody that's listening that has access to this book, tell me what this panel on page four lower right means as the taxi's driving away and the two of them are talking. I believe it's Jimmy that steps up off the curb and clubs somebody in the back of the head, knocking them to the ground, uh, a suitcase kind of falling to the side. Now, there is a, there's a case that comes up in the story a little bit later, but I believe that is acquired at a separate time, a separate place. The only thing I can think of is that Jimmy is preventing 
this person from also flagging down the taxi to use it along with Alexis and Jiro. I, I may be wrong. I'm not really sure. Uh, later that night, perhaps because later that night we see Jimmy outside the condo where Jiro lives, perhaps he was knocking away the next person in line to get a taxi so that Jimmy could jump in the next taxi and tell them to follow that car so that he would know where Jiro lives. Although, with all of this political machinations going on here and the Yakuza being involved, I would think that they would, the Yakuza, know where Jiro lives and so Jimmy wouldn't have to do the... So that that panel kind of sticks out as a WTF. I, I don't know what that is. So later on, as I said, Jimmy is outside reporting in to Kimura that he is outside Jiro's condo, that Alexis has indeed arrived there and is with Jiro. We go inside and we see Alexis and Jiro training, although it's not so much training as it's a test uh, by Jiro to see that Alexis is still, um, via martial arts, what she was when she left his, um, his, his person, his protection, his, his world, moving to the West to become an architect, um, we find out. So we have a four-panel montage of the young Alexis growing and being trained by Jiro. So um, in in that this is occurring, I, I guess Alexis's dad died a time ago, okay? Long enough for Alexis's mother to become involved with Jiro and marry him. And Jiro, in essence, become the father figure for Alexis. So, you know, I don't know. Looking at this, it could be, I don't know, 10, 15 years upwards to 20 years, the time span. But Kimura is just now killing the person who was responsible for Alexis's dad's death years ago. Yeah, um, I just now realized that that strikes me as kind of odd uh, chronologically. So we have a little spat here between Jiro and Alexis as um, he is wanting her to uh, maintain her her Japanese essence, and she is uh, very Western to the extent that as she um, leaves, she tosses over her shoulder the comments, I'm American, I'm not Japanese, I cannot be Japanese, and no matter what you or my mother want, I will not be Japanese, and slams the door. So we have a, a culture clash between Alexis and Jiro, and presumably Alexis's mother, whom we never see in this story. So I don't know. I would assume by the way that um, Alexis is drawn and the fact that she is set up in the United States, her mother must be Western and must be in the United States, having formerly married her father, who was potentially Japanese, um, growing up there. And then when her father died, she went back to the U.S. with her mother. I, I don't know. I, I don't. Her, her mom's not in this, as I said. So right after that confrontation, we have three supposed green attackers here. They may be trying to come across as ninja uh, dressed in the green. I, I don't think so. Very monotone, ugly green, too. But uh, Jiro has no problems with them. And then a fourth attacker turns up, this time wearing the traditional, well, he's got on a black suit, but he has a black hooded cowl on. And if, if we've been paying attention, uh, showing is the pink shirt and black tie of Jimmy from earlier in the story. So 
Jimmy is leading this crew to attack Jiro, and he does so with a gunshot. Uh, we don't know where it strikes the man. Um, Alexis is grabbed. She walks back into the room, having heard the scuffle, is grabbed and asks about Jiro if he's okay. And Jimmy instructs her to worry about the living and takes off his cowl and throws it onto the face of Jiro laying on the ground, bloodied. One would think uh, at this point Jiro is dead. We'll see. So Jimmy takes Alexis to Kimura. Uh, Kimura at first prevents Jimmy from from beating her, uh, but then tells Jimmy to go um, secure her somewhere uh, else in, in the compound here. When he does this, Jimmy hands over a lockbox and a sheaf of papers that he acquired from Alexis's room, presumably, gives them to Kimura, which must have information that Kimura needs. We see how much of a sadistic Jimmy is as he's leading Alexis through uh, the formerly old part of the compound where Kimura is. They're, they're living in the new section, but there's an old section, which is dungeon-y. He um, shoves her down a flight of stairs. Perp walks her with a pistol to the back of her head, slams her against a wall near a holding cell, and it's one of the um, built-into-the-ground holding cells, so he slams her into a nearby wall as he pulls up the grate, drops her in the holding cell, which is a... I don't know, 10 to 12 foot drop with her arms tied behind her back and her head blindfolded. Then he replaces the uh, the grate over the hole at the top and leaves. So next we have a series of panels and pages of her remembering training. Apparently she had polio as a child and Jiro uh, forced her physically to overcome the effects of the polio as she had been cured and bringing her up to speed physically to where she should be uh, if the polio hadn't prevented her from attaining those levels as a child. So she's remembering the strict training, uh, mental discipline that Jiro um, forced into her as she is attempting to loose her hands from the binding ropes behind her back. Ultimately, she does, rips off her mask, sees where she is, and then takes the rope and attempts to use the rope to climb up to the grate, but the rope's not long enough. She tears parts of her robe uh, because after her sparring with Jiro, she went to take a shower, apparently, after their fight and came back to all the noise and was captured fresh out of the shower. So essentially, the only thing she has on is a bathrobe, a very short bathrobe. Um all, all through this, in in the first half of the story, while she's in the bathrobe, it's just enough um, to let you know that she is in the short bathrobe, but we are not yet in the sexy bad girl times of comic books, so it was drawn uh, very demurely in, in most places. Finally, she does use the aspects of the robe that she tore off to climb up to the grate. As I said, it's it's probably 10 to 12, maybe 15 feet above her head. But she climbs up, and in a real cool way, she, she spiders her arms and legs through the grate, positioning them on the stone ground of the upper level, okay? And then using her strength with her arms and legs extended through the grate, she flips does, in essence, a, a backflip 
because she's upside down, right? So with her arms and legs forcing on the ground, she flips the grate off one way to where she is on her hands and knees now, the grate intertwined in her arms and legs, if, if you guys can imagine that. If not, it's uh, pages 13 and 14 of the, of the original um, book. And having said that, um, looking around, I don't see where this issue has been reprinted anywhere. So this first issue of Whisper from Capital Comics, that may be the only place that you can find this, this story. And I do like that after all of that, and, and, and physically, she's hurt. Her arms uh, from being secured behind her, going through this process of lifting the grate. Her knees and upper shin are scuffed up and bleeding from the effort of flipping it over in the grate landing on her legs because she was intertwined. So I, I like that they kept this physicality of what she was doing and maintained that throughout. But she escapes now and goes running through the compound. She's seen on camera, uh, but they can't find her. Uh, Jimmy goes looking for her. Uh, Mr. Kimura, Kimura is looking for her as well, but they decide that they'll let the rest of the grounds people look for her. They have something to do, somewhere to go. So they head off. She hides in the car that they used to, uh, to leave the compound. And when they stop somewhere, she gets out and goes back to uh, where Jiro, uh, where she was staying with Jiro. In the meantime, Jiro wakes up. So apparently he's not dead, but he does have blood all over his face. So I guess the gunshot grazed his skull, um, which I suppose was the intent because they need Jiro alive. I don't know why you would use a gun in that situation and not, you know, some kind of blunt object. But okay. And we see that Jimmy left a note for Jiro in his cowl. He goes to put it on. Toroshido, his life for the girls. So now Jiro knows what he has to do to save Alexis. Puts the outfit on, leaves. Uh, a panel later, Alexis stops in. Uh, she's looking around. A couple panels of remembering training. Again, her, her mental and physical training, sees the cowl that Jimmy threw down laying there on the floor and picks it up and decides that that is going to be the basis for the outfit that she's going to put on to disguise herself so that whomever sees her wherever she is going doesn't know that it's her Alexis. And this is where she tears the arms out of the outfit. Again, I'm not sure why an outfit of that nature would need the shoulders freed. I would think, yeah, anyways, I just not sure. But okay, artistic freedom. Cool. So we uh, head to Toshiro's estate where we see Jiro's attempt at killing Toshiro, but um, we don't see it all the way through. It stops. Next is a scene at a, a business office. Uh, we see a young lady leaving with some papers. She gets into a car waiting for her and says, Devin had quite a few papers in his safety deposit box. Kimura will find them quite interesting. So I guess she's leaving a bank safety deposit box. The uh, chauffeur is not who this young lady thinks she is, knocks her out, takes the papers, heads off to the rooftop somewhere nearby. Um, actually, um, let's see. Yeah, I, I guess maybe at the bank, near the bank, uh, she jumps up on a roof and is rifling through the papers, throwing them away as she rifles through them, which alerts a guard whom she takes out. And we see her open a $10 roll of quarters and dump them in a little pouch here she has on her hip. 
Meanwhile, the messenger that had originally picked up the papers, her name is uh, Shige. She is taken before Kimura by Jimmy to uh, show what a failure she is and is dispatched by Jimmy for her failure. They find out that someone is broken into the facility, the, the compound where Kimura is, via flipping through cameras looking for uh, this new intruder and seeing someone putting shaving cream on the camera that they get to. So the guards locate her. Um, as she's running, this this intruder turns out to be Alexis. As she's running, she drops these quarters, and I guess those somehow make the ground slippery. She uh, gets enough ahead of the guards that she can set up an ambush, and it's a uh, wire at neck level. And so the guard rushes through and, and uh, hangmans himself. She puts on his uniform and starts hanging out with the rest of the guards until she finds herself alone and uh, is able to overhear more of what Jimmy and Kimura have planned. In overhearing, she finds out that Kimura dispatches Jimmy to go kill her. Whatever is going on, we can't let it mess with our plans, so just go kill her and we'll you know, move forward with whatever else we can do. So Jimmy heads to the holding cell and finds that she is more than ready for him this time as she jumps him and she uh, th that is the scene that we have on the title page the fight the culmination of the fight between Alexis and Jimmy as she leaves him weaponless and defeated laying here on the ground and goes on about her uh, duties here until she encounters a bunch of guards who gun her down but then we see well nope that's Jimmy that they gunned down because she made him put on her togs and ran off, I don't know, to hide wearing something else. So the assassin is killed. We know that it's Jimmy. They don't realize it's Jimmy yet. They radio to Kimura, and after all the excitement, he once again uh, heads to his bath to relax. And this time, as he beckons the girls over, there's only one in the room, and it turns out to be a naked, I'll say, but again, not salaciously showing anything, uh, Alexis. And so she has a conversation with Kimura using her martial arts and the water in the pool uh, to great effect, to where she finds out everything that he was planning to do, and then tells him now this whole time he just knows her as this um, person that broke in uh, an assassin he he doesn't realize it's Alexis because ultimately she tells Jiro to leave Alexis alone and if not she will come back and find him I found you once I can do it again and he's left in his pool screaming who are you um, so he calls out for Jimmy we know Jimmy's dead um, Zed's dead Right? Jimmy? Jimmy's dead? Okay. Um, but entering the room is Jiro and Toshido. And Toshido tells Kimura that he knows what he's been up to. And uh, we, we will, you know, speak of this later. So they walk on. The next morning, Toshido and Jiro are at Haneda Airport. And Jiro is watching a plane fly off, uh, supposedly with Alexis in it. So he bemoans that, but Toshido pulls him up short and says, um, you know, basically, you owe me. Um, you tried to kill me and I didn't kill you. I should kill you, but I won't because I need you. And what I need you to do is go find this woman that just attacked and threatened Kimura and kill her. 
uh, because we can't have people threatening my peeps in the Yakuza. That, that doesn't, you know, anything else aside, I'll handle my peeps. Uh, nobody from the outside is going to do anything. And they tried. So I want you to fix that by going to kill whoever this person was. So Jimmy's dead. Kimura is disgraced. Toshido knows what happened. He's still in charge. Toshido tells Jiro, who was forced by Kimura to try to kill Toshido. Toshido found out. He now has control of Kimura as his second. He also has control of Jiro, uh, a debt of honor, in that you tried to kill me and were not successful. So he tells Jiro to go kill, essentially, Alexis, which... Jiro doesn't know that that's who it is. He's going to have to track him down and ultimately, I guess, track him down to the West, to the U.S. So that will be the overriding story of the second issue is Jiro's hunt for the person who will turn out to be Alexis. Now we have several ads. Uh, the next page, which is page number 30, uh, the upper half is an ad for the next issue of Whisper. The bottom half is a back issue and subscription ad. We still see that the black and white Nexus number three is available. And here in a moment, we'll see an ad as to why they're keeping that available. The color Nexus first three issues are available and Badger number one. And then you go on up here and you can get subscriptions to Nexus five through ten, Badger three through six and Whisper two through six. The next page, the upper half of the page is a Nexus five ad. The lower half of the page is a Badger number two ad. Now, these are full color. All of this is full color. Uh, the next full page is an ad for the black and white Nexus number three because it's the first comic ever to be released with a complete soundtrack recorded in state-of-the-art stereo bound into the magazine as a 20-minute flexi disc. Uh, and I have found that that is available on YouTube for those of you that might want to uh, know that. Thank you, I believe it was Kyle that pointed me at that. I appreciate it, sir. King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. The next page, the inside of the back page, is a black and white ad that says, More powerful than ever, Star Slayer. Introducing Timothy Truman, artist, and John Ostrander, writer. Beginning with issue 14. Count on it. First comics. So they're advertising for another company here. So Capital and First have a very close relationship. Close enough that we will see. Uh, what happens when capital dissolves. Uh, it will turn out, a uh, little bit of a spoiler here, that uh, Whisper, Nexus, and Badger all head over to first come. Well, um, maybe Whisper doesn't, now that I say that. I think Whisper heads to maybe Kamiko. But uh, Badger and Nexus first head over to first comics. Back page, black and white, with some color ad for the Nexus portfolio number one. Now, interestingly enough, it says that ordering instructions for this are on the same page as the subscription and back issues, but it doesn't appear anywhere. So I guess maybe what you do is you look at the address or something and, and write them or something like that to get information. But it's not included in the things that you can buy here with a, a check and include the money kind of situation. And so there is the first issue of Whisper from Capital Comics. Whisper will go on uh, to be around for a little while. It'll pop up at several other companies. Most recently, I believe, in the middle 2000s, it was at uh, Boom Studios. So still hanging around. If you guys want to get in touch with me, um, Teal Productions on Facebook. I post the episodes there on Twitter. 
I am at Teal Productions. I will also tweet when I post new episodes of the show. If you want to email, you can email me at imindyman at gmail.com. And the website is comicbooknoise.com slash TNC, Tango November Charlie. So those are the places to contact. If you choose to do so, I will include as much as I can in feedback uh, on the show. So there we go. Thanks so much, everyone that has been liking, retweeting, and a, a handful of comments on the show. I appreciate that um, just on several different levels for several different reasons. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, next time out, we will be talking about Nexus Volume 2, Number 5. It's next up in the rotation. So I'll talk to you guys then. Ciao.